Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. You're listening to MAF Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome everyone to Mav Sports Take Episode 9. Can you believe we've already been on Episode 9 of Mav Sports Take? Whether you're joining us from the 8th time or the 1st time, thank you for tuning in. Last week, David and I brought you an interview with former Notre Dame star and San Francisco 49er defensive lineman Ian Williams. Today, we're excited for our first all-woman panel. We have some amazing women joining us on the Mav Sports Take today. Mav Sports Take today. Ms. Catherine Raich from the Philadelphia Eagles, Jennifer Lee Chan from the 49ers, insider for the Comcast Sports Bay Arena, Ms. Grace DeWitt from Douglas Digital, and Jill McBride-Baxter, sports agent, attorney, author, and podcast host of Representation Without Taxation. Of course, I am Mr. Ryan Roberts here with my good friend, David Turner. David, we have an exciting Exciting panel. We're talking football again. It's, uh, you know, obviously it's a multi-day-a-week occurrence for us now, man. How are we doing tonight? How excited are we for this panel we got today? Oh, we're pumped to have these ladies come on and, and grace us with their presence and uh, give our audience a, a listen to what they what they um, what their careers are like, what their lives are like, what uh, what their take is on the social uh, standings of everything today, the pandemic. I just can't wait to get to talking to them about all this stuff. And it'll just be a few minutes away. Yeah, absolutely. We want to get into a couple recaps from last week, starting the NCAA games, college football games, Georgia, Auburn. I think when me and David spoke about this last week, we both thought it was going to be a really close, hard-fought game with two defensive football teams, a lot of really nice players on the Georgia side defensively specifically. It was a shellacking by Georgia. They won 27 to 6. Stenson Bennett, their quarterback, who is was his first career start, had a really nice game. Georgia showed a lot more offensively than we saw in the opener, and they were able to take down Auburn. Bo Nix, quarterback from Auburn, had a lot of struggles during the day, to say the least. David, 
it obviously it was not quite like what we predicted, but it looks like the Georgia Bulldogs might be a little bit for real, taking down a pretty solid Auburn team this past week. Yeah, you know, what was really interesting to me was the struggles Knicks had. I didn't think the young defense, um, like we talked about last week, was going to give them that much trouble. But God bless the Georgia Dogs. They came in and they they uh, they defended the hedges and they were it was great. It was a great game, hard fought game. It was hard to see uh, Auburn struggle like that, but it was really nice to see Georgia because the first week they didn't look too good. Now they they look like the Georgia team we're used to seeing. Uh, hard fought game for them, and they really closed it out. They didn't take their their uh, they didn't step off the neck. You know they could have let, lightened up a little bit, but to only give up six points to Auburn that was just impressive. Very very impressive outing for Georgia with Bulldogs last week. Yeah, and it was it was really fun to watch because I expected Georgia to give Auburn a lot of troubles with with the defense they have. Eric Stokes, Richard LeCount, all those dudes on defense. Aziz Aziz Ojolari, Monty Rice, a lot of excellent NFL future NFL players on that defense for Georgia. Expected a low scoring affair for Auburn, but I must say, did not expect the outburst from Georgia. So it was a lot of fun to watch. Looks like UGA might be for real. We're looking for contenders in the SEC outside of Alabama's of the world. So. Uh, LSU being down, so maybe Georgia's that team with a young quarterback that has enough that they can continue the success they're having. Another game we wanted to check up on, Kansas State against Texas Tech. We predicted a shootout. We got a shootout to a degree. We did not predict the right outcome. We both predicted Texas Tech to get the victory. Kansas State eventually winning 34-31, to even with Kansas State's quarterback Skylar Thompson getting knocked out of the game early. Uh, I think Texas Tech's quarterback, Alan Bowman, was actually knocked out of the game early as well, too. So some injuries on both sides from the quarterback position. We saw a relatively high-scoring affair. But, David, it looks like Kansas State, two weeks in a row, playing some pretty good football after their uh, rough home opener against Arkansas State to start the year. Yeah, you know, I was surprised here. I didn't think Kansas State was going to have the horses to stay with Texas Tech. I thought Texas Tech was going to be able to run up and down the field and score at will almost and run the points up. And when the quarterback got knocked out early for K-State, I was like, uh-oh, you know, here we go. But that defense, man, they, they showed something. They showed a lot of, of uh, fortitude there to, to hold Texas Tech to just 31 points. Yeah, to 31 points. You know, and I know it's 31 points, but still, in the Big Ten, that's a light, that's a light day. You know, they can score up to 49, 50 points. So, you know, for K-State, they're, they're showing something. Like you said, they had the rough first outing. And, you know, against lesser competition, but the last two weeks against superior competition or competition, people didn't give them credit to be able to stick with, man, they have come back and they have fought hard and they've won two really, really good games. Um, so hats off to that coaching staff for having these kids ready to play hats off to the players for stepping up and, and making themselves a contender in the big 10. Absolutely, and big shout-out to Chris Kleiman. We talked about him a little bit, the former North Dakota State head coach, now over at Kansas State, doing some really nice stuff. It is not an easy job to take over for a legend and a guy like uh, Coach Snyder, but doing a really nice job, it seems, so far. So we want to move over to the NFL games before we bring our panel on here. A couple games we wanted to talk a little bit about. Buffalo Bills, 30-23 to defeat over the Las Vegas Raiders, 30-23. to That game... Was never really that close, to be honest. Bills, I, I felt like from start to finish, at least from my perspective, that game was pretty much in hand. Even when it was a one-score affair, I was just kind of like, um, you know, I, I don't think that this game is going to change in any way. You know, I didn't feel like the momentum was going to be shifted. I thought it was 
you know, it, it was what it was, right? Like the Bills outclassed the Raiders, in my opinion. Josh Allen, man, he has me eating my words for my scouting report when he came out of Wyoming because that dude is playing absolutely incredible. So big shout outs, obviously, to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, David, what were some of your takeaways overall from this Bills defeat over your your lineage in the Raiders? You know, I was with you. I didn't think the Bills had much of a uh, – they took control early and they didn't they, – they didn't, you never felt like they were going to lose control. So, you know, for me, I was just like, you know, this is great. The, I picked the Bills to win. I know my, my lineage is the Raiders. And those are my, my guys over there. But same point, you know, we got um, to pick the right ones. So for me, I was just like, you know, it was great to see Josh Allen because, you know, as a quarterback, I did uh, when I was at the Panthers. I saw him in college and bringing him in to the league and everything. So I was really I'm a really big fan of Josh. He's a great young man. And to see him mature like this and that team, I mean, come on. Beaner and uh, and the coach Sean. I mean, they got that team gelling. They got them really fighting for each other. You see them having fun on the sidelines and with their teammates. So I'm I'm very happy to see what they're doing there in Buffalo. And it doesn't hurt that my my cousin's a Buffalo Bills fan, so it makes him smile a little bit too. Absolutely, and big shout out again. I feel like I'm shouting out coaches so far, but Coach Sean McDermott for the Bills doing an exceptional job. One, I mean. Top five coach in the league right now? Maybe, right? Like, he's doing an outstanding job. And for, for being a guy that lives right outside of Philly, at one point he was a defensive coordinator from the, for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he basically got ran out of the building. Um, it was not pretty. They did not t- uh, treat Coach McDermott, uh, not give him much of a leash. Wasn't great in his Eagles tenure, but he has proven everybody wrong, obviously, after leaving Philadelphia. So he's been doing an incredible job. Last game that we want to cover from this past weekend before we bring on the panel, Cleveland Browns, Dallas Cowboys. Me and David talked a little bit about this one about an hour ago. Um, the 49-38 defeats by the Cleveland Browns against the Dallas Cowboys, where David knows the exact number, but uh, Cleveland Browns ran the ball pretty well against the Dallas Cowboys. It was pretty ugly. Uh, David, again, takeaways from this game, man. I, I wasn't expecting it. I really was kind of, Dallas Cowboys are going to win this week. I was really kind of on that on that wave a little bit, but I'm coming down to reality a little bit, I guess, on how bad right now things are right now for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, and like if you roll back the tape, we talked about if the Cleveland Browns were going to win the game, they were going to have to win it on the running game. They were going to have to run the ball, and they did. They ran for 306 or 309 yards on these guys. Even when Chubb got hurt early in the game, I mean, everybody else just went off. I mean, this was just so – such a bad performance by the Dallas Cowboys defense. So, you know, it was great to see Cleveland having fun out there, running, you know, reverses and all this sorts of kind of stuff, fun stuff. You know, Jarvis Landry's throwing touchdowns, to Odell and everything. So it was great to see that all going down. But it's sad to see what's happening in Dallas. They are just riddled with injuries. They have uh, almost an entire defense on IR. So for them, it's tough to see them going through these tough times. But again, as a Giants guy, it's not that tough for me. I'm sure it's not. We Obviously, Odell Beckham looked pretty darn good. People have been kind of casting him aside recently, but had a really nice game against the Dallas Cowboys. And then again, that 49-38 victory for the Cleveland Browns. We want to bring in our panel. Now we're ready to go. Matt Sports Take is proud to welcome our four women who have carved out four distinct careers in the sports world. Introducing to you first, we have Mrs. Ms. Sorry, we have Miss Catherine Raich, 
football operations coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, Montreal native and graduate of Sherbrooke University in Canada. She has served as assistant general manager for the Montreal Alouettes for the CFL and also as the director of football administration for the CFL uh, for the XFL's Tampa Bay organization. Catherine, excited to have you on. I know we're both pumped about it. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And second on the panel, going to rattle them off here and then we're going to get right into the questions. We have Miss Jennifer Lee Chan, who is a 49ers insider for NBC Sports Bay Arena, uh, Bay, Bay Arena, Bay Area. She's a proud USC alumni, a former professional wrestler and beat writer in the San Francisco Bay Area. Jennifer, I, 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 I likewise there, appreciate you coming on with us today. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Next, we have Miss Grace DeWitt, founder of Douglas Digital. Grace started her business after working for the New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans. She helped the Saints' social media presence move into top 10 in the NFL. Another proud USC alumni. We got a lot of USC people in the building tonight. Grace also worked on the Trojan social media staff. Grace, appreciate you coming on. It's our first time with, a, you know, we have the email chains going every once in a while, but it's first time uh, face-to-face. How are you? Hi, good. I know. I make my appearance. <laughs> Pumped to have you on. And last but not least, we welcome Jill McBride-Baxter. Jill was born into a football family as her father's a Hall of Fame coach, Ron McBride. Jill is a graduate of the University of Utah and the University of the Pacific uh, McGeorge School of Law. She has been in the business since 1987 as a sports agent and contract negotiator. Jill is an author, podcast host, mother of two daughters, and wife of a football coach on top of representing athletes, coaches, and front office staff. So Jill does it all, does a little bit of everything. Jill, we appreciate you also coming on with us today. And uh, just so excited to dig into a little bit of your career as well. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, hi, everybody. I appreciate you guys coming on and joining us on the ninth and the first time we've had a panel this big. So we're hitting a lot of milestones here tonight. First ladies guest, first big panel for four ladies on to talk about this. So I'm just going to jump right into the questions, if that's OK. The first one's a group question for all of you to answer in whatever order you guys seem fit. But it's how has the pandemic impacted your job? We hear how it's impacted uh, the coaches, the players, you know, people like myself. But how has it impacted each one of you since it's it's broken out? I'm going to get contact with players like we normally do after practice. We generally go into locker rooms after games. We're in the locker rooms talking to players, getting that one on one connection building relationships kind of learning and feeling what the team is like throughout wins and losses and we just aren't getting that this season so it's been a challenge the PR departments have given us interviews on camera so we're doing it through zoom just like this but that interpersonal connection that you get building relationships has been much more challenging this season I was going to say that for me, one of my clients is a college football trophy and our watch list has probably changed eight times. I just got an email earlier today about someone brand new that's being added to the list because we're, we've had to evolve the list as number one, players have opted out, two conferences have been put on hold and then back in play and back on hold and who even played this week. So that's been a challenge to try and create a content calendar around a shifting watch list. Sounds like a ping pong ball. <laughs> what about for you, Catherine? What, what, what are we seeing the, in the NFL level? What are we seeing the challenges coming to the scouting departments? Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, just when you think in, in terms of who we have in the building, um, 
the number of people are extremely limited. Everything from the way we have our meals or the way we travel or the way we work out players in-house has changed. So we definitely have to adjust. I mean, we've been tested every day since mid-July. So um, it's definitely been a process, but uh, our, our organization has been great. And uh, I'm just glad we get to play football games. Now, Jill, as representing the players, what do you, what do you, what's your side? How's the pandemic Im- impacted you? Well, I think the biggest change for me is that like normally during like preseason games, which we didn't have, I would have gone to my client, you know, my client's game, at least one of them. And then also I'm usually at a college game every Saturday. And so not doing that. But actually what's impacted me also is the Creek fire because we got evacuated for four weeks. So I've had the pandemic and the fire. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Got to go with the flow. Yeah, I know you've had it rough out there in California with all that. And as Catherine yeah. has said, with the workouts, how they're adjusting the workouts, that's also had to impact your clients, right? With be- being able to obtain workouts at this at this time and juncture? Yes. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you that I think fewer players are getting worked out. And I think, and, and, and I think they're working out guys that are closer to their facility just because of the testing. So, um, you know, to depend on where you're geographically located, if you're a guy who either got cut or was in the XFL and looking for an opportunity, um, the workouts have been. And Catherine, you're seeing that too. Yeah. Maybe to piggyback on this, like, I feel like one of the group that this has impacted the most are the undrafted free agent of, of the 2020 draft class, because with no preseason, they don't get to have much tape, to be honest with you, to go off. So when those guys are being cut from practice rosters or didn't make the roster at all when it was cut down day, um, it's hard for other teams to want to want to take a shot or bring them in because all they have to go off is their college tape, whether where they where they graded after their season. So I feel like these guys didn't have the chance to um, put some get put some tape together. So that's definitely impacted them and in, in their chances of, of securing a job moving forward. Yeah, as a former pro scout, that would be very hard for me to evaluate and put my name on a guy that I didn't see in preseason and that you know I usually like Jill would go out to high college games. I'd be at all the preseason games grading players and grading that tape, getting it ready for cut down day. Without that now to evaluate, that's gotta be very difficult. Coming right back at you, Catherine. A lot of these guys didn't even have pro days. When you think about it, it goes all the way back to to pro days being canceled. So even your number, the numbers you have on these guys are not. You don't some for some of them you don't have any. So well, if that's the case, you know I'm working at ANC too as their director of personnel. So I'm I'm timing. I'm going out and doing stuff. We're gonna have fall camps too for guys to come to. So if there's ever guys you need times on, just let me know and I can help you out and get them to a camp and get their measurements and get them verified for you. But um. Here we go, Catherine. Here's another question for you. Pro football teams seem to be interested in hiring women for roles much like you're in at this time at all-time high right now. It, it's uh, creating the interest of um, initial hurdles and stuff. What, what is it, uh, what's a hurdle that you, know, you think women often get stuck on that need, they need to get over for the similar role? Um, I feel, as you mentioned, I feel like it's been it's been trending in the right direction. I think not just the NFL, like multiple um, leagues and in in sports are are hiring more women. I think to me, it's great to um, 
hires more women. And, and when you think about it, for all these years, they were looking at only 50% of the pool to fill those jobs. So now that they're open to looking at 100% of the pool and really find the most competent candidate, regardless of gender, race, or whatever other uh, the potential discrimina discrimination um, criteria, I would say that the next step is making sure these same women um, get higher positions. Because when you look, if you just look across the league and it's not just in scouting, if you look at athletic trainers or nutrition, like you don't see a lot of women in executive um, decision-making positions on the football side. Um, so I think more and more, it'd be great to keep, keep helping the women and, and having them ascend through um, higher ranks within uh, the organization. And that's interesting because, you know, I was at the Raiders for five years where Amy Trask was our president and really in control a lot of what's going on in football. So I was in an organization where Al Davis believed in, you know, just hire the best person to do the job. And now, now to see the rest of the league kind of where that, where that Maverick was, you know, he was out front running or he was now they're catching up to him, even though he's, he's passed on and gone. So Ryan, you got the next one. Yeah. And Je Jennifer, I wanted to ask about specifically about the sports journal, sports journal, sports journalism industry. Cause I know obviously there are a lot of challenges that you spoke about in the beginning, but specifically for what you do on a week to week basis, how is what is what is like a what is the state of the current world to work in sports journalism and how are you kind of navigating everything that's going on and, and kind of inversely has kind of a more of a familiarity of, of how it might go scheduling wise on a week to week basis? Has that helped you at all kind of bringing some type of normalcy to this to the situation? I mean, just being back covering football makes me so much happier. So that's a good thing. But uh, the challenges overall as a female in the industry is it's you have to prove yourself more than I think you do as a male. Uh, whether, you know, it's, I, it's not whether it's fair or not. It's just part of the deal. You have to prove that you have some football knowledge, that you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about. And the problem if you're starting now is that you don't have those relationships with the players, so they don't know you. So your first interaction with a guy may just be via Zoom. You're asking him a question, and you haven't built that relationship with you with him. So he doesn't know you know, what you're, where you're coming from, what kind of knowledge you have, if you've been around the team for five, six, seven years, or if this is your first season. So you really have to work on presenting yourself in the most professional way. You have to have good questions. You have to pay attention and listen to what's going on. I think it's harder to prove yourself and your abilities in the climate that we're in now, which is unfortunate, but it's a, it's a challenge that we have to take on. Absolutely. And I, I know me and David talked about this a little bit, you know, in the scouting industry specifically, like the relationships that you have with the schools and the ability to talk to coaches like that has really kind of helped people and urged people along. It sounds like similarly for you, those relationships that you've built have really kind of guided um, the success that you've been able to maintain through everything going on now. Yeah, it's just the relationships that you build through working and being there in person, it's just hard not to have those this year with not being in person with players. Yeah. When you're not somewhere and shaking hands and, you know, hugging them up there, it's hard. It's hard to not have that relationship, you know, Jill, I, I know you haven't only represented pro football players. You're talking about, talk, been talking about a lot, a lot from the pro football perspective. 
Uh, who else have you represented in sports and what have those experiences been like for you overall in the industry? Oh, well, I've represented a whole lot of different people. I mean, athletic directors, coaches, uh, you know, assistant coaches, media, UFC fighters, NFL players. I've even represented presidents of universities. So um, all of them are very different and they're different because, you know, when you're negotiating a deal for an athletics director, you're dealing with the general counsel, usually at the university. If I'm advisor, which could be the head coach or could be the AD or a combination of all those things and the general counsel, uh, my UFC fighter, I was dealing more with like um, whoever the matchmaker was and then the the general counsel for the UFC and then did a lot of traveling and that was a lot of endorsements. Um, and so it was constant. It was every three months. Um, coaches again, a lot of it has to do with the contract and the words in the contract. Whereas a player contract is more, is not as word generated because all the words have been agreed to. So it's more monitor you know, what the monetary amount is. And then um, also coaches and athletics director, you got to really study the market and see what everybody's worth, depending on how many years they've been in where, you know, if they're being recruited away from somewhere else. So it's just, a, um, just a, they're all, they're all different in different ways, but um, you know, players are a different process, obviously than, than coaches, ADs, and then UFC fighters are just a whole nother, <laughs> whole other can of worms and then I represent some Olympic athletes and that's a lot of endorsements so there's just been lots of different things that have happened along the way so a lot of different areas a lot of things to get familiar with I'm sure it's kind of a overload a little bit um you know just kind of getting through everything and all the information that you need to kind of process a little bit and media too I mean just because I've negotiated so many deals so much of it is the wording in the contract I mean it's a lot of the wording in the contract, in my opinion, is not favorable to the employee and is completely in favor of the employer. So that's always a challenge. And I know, Grace, that you work with a lot of sorts of sports personalities, players, to agents, to scouts. For you, what challenges do you find common amongst your, your clients in, in, the, uh, in the current environment that we're living in? Sure. Well, I mean, this isn't just this is a persistent problem now and even in pre-COVID and, and post-COVID because hopefully that's coming around the corner <laughs> times um, is helping people to understand that number one social media is not like this frivolous thing right I mean I hope that at this point we all see every day how powerful and consequential it is um, in outside of sports and it's certainly just as consequential inside of sports um, and marketing. Uh, and that being said, that social media is not like the end all be all of a marketing um, effort or campaign. It's just one spoke on the wheel. So a lot of the time someone comes to me and says, hey, I need social media help. And it's like, yeah, well, actually you need marketing help. We're going to help your social media, but let's talk about what's happening on your website. What about your email marketing? So thinking of it in that kind of context is often uh, a level of education I have to provide. And also, um, I guess 
with players and coaches in particular, coaches often remark that social media is like a distraction, right? And yet, especially in the college context, the coaching staff is using their social media to be in touch with uh, prospects all the time. So like, it's, you know, where do you draw the line between distraction? You can't just write it off, I guess is my point. Um, and then with the athletes themselves, I think a lot of the time they don't realize how much money they're leaving on the table now and in their future by not making their social media presence a priority. And that's everything from, making it a priority in terms of how a team views you as a draft prospect or as a free agent to the endorsement deals and sponsorship opportunities that are available to you. And then also like ultimately football comes to an end, right? So you have to think about the fact that you can turn your 150,000 followers uh, as a retired player into like your next business opportunity but you want to start working on that now so those are all recurring challenges well let me ask you guys this really quick question so as a group uh, if you can each take this one how can men in sports better serve to be your allies and and be you know to their female colleagues what is something we can do and take away from this conversation as men and say you know what this that they they need us to do this they would like us to do that you know they what can we do how can we be your allies for me personally this is jill um it's just referring clients i think a lot of scouts like refer clients to players like they go around and they might talk to a player and they'll say hey who's a good agent and a lot, and I am going to be honest with you, I've gotten most of my business through referrals. So I think for me, it's referrals. And then, you know, guys have always been really pretty good to me about returning my phone calls. So that, that hasn't really been a, a big issue, but just returning phone calls and, and referrals, really. And I, and, but I don't know how you treat the guys. So, <laughs> well, again, I, I refer clients to you. So you know that I already do I that. For, <laughs> so you can't, because <laughs> you already know I do that. So I know. So I, I don't know what to say on that. So um, I guess that's really, I, I've always, uh, since I've been in the industry my whole life, I, I, my relationships have been, are pretty, uh, pretty well established for a long period of time. So it's a little bit different because I'm a coach's kid and a coach's wife and a sports attorney. So, I've been around it a long time, which helps. I don't know what a person would do if they're just getting into it right now. That would be a lot harder. I think part of it is is being inclusive. So when you have a group of guys getting together to discuss anything, offer that to the females that are around as well. I think inclusion is part of you know what keeps a lot of women out of the industry, out of the business, not knowing how to get in. So if you're faced with someone who has interest, then offer suggestions. If you're working alongside of someone who is in it or is just starting gently critique, offer advice, give suggestions, because I think all of that is so worthwhile. But inclusion is really the important thing. And I think I, I personally have been very lucky. The 49ers beat is a lot of men and women, primarily men, of course, because just the industry we're in. But everybody has been so open and friendly. And I remember being on there the first week and people are like oh no it's over here oh no it's over there so it was just a bunch of helpful people 
just treat people how you want to be treated. And really that's going to help everybody out. If I may piggyback off that, I think my bit of advice is so treat people the way you want to be treated. I find increasingly that men in and out of sports are like afraid of doing something wrong or like, you know, faced with some sort of accusation or whatever. And like, my whole thing is, I think we all know what it is to treat someone and be treated with respect. So as long as you do that, I don't think you'll run into many issues. It's like the moment you stop being respectful, generally there's a problem in any context, but especially in sports. So um, I know there's probably like well-meaning men in football clubs across the country who are worried about getting into trouble and yeah my short answer to them would just be female colleagues and I think for me I would add I think David you used the right word in your question by ally and I think that's where it starts um, in terms of being open to act as mentors um I mean, here at the Eagles, we have an open door policy. I mean, I can go and talk to any coaches, to our general manager at any time, and 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 ask questions, and 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 they will always help. So I think I think part of that support is key, and also as a as a person in in uh, with decision making power, I would say um, to be open to think outside the box and embrace diversity and having people from different backgrounds um, as part of your staff, because I think as a whole, it's going to make you better to begin with, just because um, if we're all in a room and we all look the same, we may all think the same. Um, but when you bring diversity, I think, I think it, it makes, um, it makes the, the club better in their decision-making. So hopefully having that open mind and, um, being open to uh, be mentors for women uh, coming up in the industry. Well, look at those answers. I mean, I knew I got the right panel together. This was, this was really impressive. I do want to open it up to see if you guys have any advice for the young ladies coming up behind you, um, what they should do, how, cause I, tonight I've heard from Jill and Grace and Jen, everybody pretty much saying that the relationship building is so hard. And right now, It'd be hard to do it with the pandemic and our where we're at in society. What advice or one piece of advice would you guys give to the next young lady coming up behind you? In journalism, it's creating your own content. You just have to find creative ways to put it out there. You have to build your audience. The thing about social media, we've talked about it is once you build your audience that's part of your bargaining chip you know when so when you're hired as a sports journalist or anything in media when you're hired you can say yes you're getting me but you're also getting my 25,000 followers so it's part of what makes you attractive as a hire so any way you can get your content out there be creative with it always be ready be prepared and you just never know when you're going to be able to jump on an opportunity. Uh, for instance, I randomly took a picture of the sidelines during a 49ers game, making fun of, uh, of the sideline preparation saying that Jeff, it wasn't Jeff Fisher prepared. And it just happened to be the one picture that Colin Kaepernick is sitting in. So, uh, just be ready. You never know what's going to be thrown your way. Be prepared as much as possible. And, that's really all you can do. 
Well, I, I'll just say really quickly, I think, at least in my industry, men and women, you, you kind of need a mentor because there's so many mistakes that you can make that can really cost you a lot of money. And, and I actually ended up creating a sports agent academy for people that, that it's, it's like an online course so I can mentor them because honestly, I might get two or three emails a day, somebody wanting to mentor want they want me to mentor them but i don't have the time to do it like 24 7 i have to work but i think you really do need some guidance because there's huge mistakes that you can make and um and then also introducing you to people so in my industry you really got to go to the afca convention you got to go to the combine if we're going to have a combine because that's really where we do a lot of our networking and meeting new people so i think that's a must do if you're getting into the sports agent business besides following the rules, which there's a lot of them. So sometimes people forget there's, there's state laws, there's uh, college rules, there's the NCAA rules and, and the NFL rules rules. So you got to make sure you're following the rules and, and doing things right. So that's really what my advice is. I think to piggyback on what Jill just said, um, it's I would have the, a very similar advice when it comes to working for a club. I mean, I would start with being bold and not wait for someone that looked like you to try to attempt to apply for a job or, or get a job. Um, but I think networking is also a key part of, of um, being able to get those jobs because they're rarely posted. I mean, I've never seen a a job honestly in, in on the football side that that's posted where there's a traditional application process. So building your network becomes super critical. Um, and I would absolutely agree with the mentor um, advice as well. This is huge. And, and I mean, you need a mentor when you start uh, throughout your career. I mean, I think I can, you can benefit from a mentor your entire career as a matter of fact. So um just be bold, build your network, and keep pushing. So I'll just say as like a, a not an opposing point, but while 100% your network is really important, I found that the strength of my resume was also critical. Um, I actually got my job with the Saints and the Pelicans out of college without having a single connection. They hired me purely on my resume and my interview um, because, you know, I had TV stations in Miami and LA on my resume. I had the USC athletic department on my resume. I had the NBC Olympics coverage on my resume. So if you're serious about working in sports, you need to get started ASAP. And each, each experience that you accumulate will, you know, put you on a position to get like more of a blue chip <laughs> uh, logo on your resume, if you will. And, uh, and that, I mean, I get the sense that people take me seriously, like more seriously, just seeing who I've worked with, which is crazy. <laughs> but um, like, Nate, you know, name recognition matters a lot in sports in terms of a resume. Yeah, absolutely. I know, Jen, you got to run. I just want to say thank you very much for coming on. It was great having you and your, your perspective on tonight. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And and Grace, I know for you, it's like, I feel the same way. Once I started working, 
with the Giants, the Raiders, the Niners started doing that, more and more people jumped on and started, you know, saying, oh, maybe he knows what he's talking about and this and that in the sporting world. And then my longevity of now having 18 years in, the people look at it and they think that way. So I understand what you're saying there. And I really appreciate everybody on the panel tonight. Catherine, I know it's late back there, but you got on and helped us out. And and again, Grace and Jill, because this is, this is something that means something to me. Um, like I said, I work with Amy and I've worked with females all the way through. And Catherine, you, you know, we'd always sit together at the CFL stuff and whatever. Um, I think it's just near and dear to my heart because I was raised with my mother and my two sisters. And I never wanted to see them struggle because of sexism or something. So to, to bring this panel on and just talk about football, sports in general and and have you guys on you're all welcome back anytime obviously just let me know when you're available and we'll have you on again to talk ball because this was a great conversation for me i can tell you that well great thanks thanks for having us dave appreciate you coming on jill thank you so much yep and i thank you all so much Uh, through technical difficulties here i see all your faces moving now which is great to see thank you all so much for coming on i know me and david are going to talk about this uh, while we're getting off here, it was great perspective, and I truly appreciate you all sharing your backgrounds and your stories with us. So that was a fun panel, huh, Ryan? That was. That was. Everybody's face was frozen, unfortunately, for me on Zoom, but I heard every single word. It was, I mean, honestly, man, like there's so much to dissect with that conversation that they just laid on us because it's not just, you know, sporting world because, like, that's why we're here, right? We love sports. We love football. That's why we're talking ball. But just the perspective, because like we talk about empathy all the time, right, David? But like for us, we'll never truly know what it's like to be a woman working in sports, right? How difficult on a day-to-day, you know, just perspective it is to survive. And then not only to survive, because all these women are so incredibly successful in each of their in each of their fields that it's just it's honestly just breathtaking hearing some of their stories and what they've had to endure and how they have maintained the success that they have through what is a difficult field to get into for, unfortunately, for the the gender that they are. Well, and one thing that I took away from tonight is mentorship and connections, right? Being open to uh, and, you know, inclusion. Those three things really rang home for me tonight was you know, even from Jill, how she said she was grew up as a coach's son or coach's daughter. So she was always on the field, always around it. And then she moved into marrying a coach. So she always had this access, you know, um, that other people maybe didn't have in the um, in the industry. But she then took it and now she's created a mentorship group where young women and, and men can go and they interact together in the group. And she mentors them through this process of becoming an agent and um, being able to represent themselves if they're a player and stuff. And you hear that she's such a diverse agent and sports attorney. I mean, she works from the UFC to Olympic athletes to personnels to like I think one of her clients is an AD of a you know a really big um, university. So the wording of the contracts are all unique and everything for her throughout all these different twists and turns. And she's been able to navigate that now since 1987, which to me was just, uh, that's why I, like when J- people ask me if I know a good agent, I'm like, yeah, Jill Baxter, like, <laughs> like it's not, it's a no brainer. She's right there. And she's, and she's in LA and she's, uh, she's just a great person and a wonderful individual. And then you see the young, the younger me- members of the panel tonight, like Grace and Catherine and, you know, Catherine, she's 
from already grown into a personnel person because she's been assistant general manager of a CFL team, a director at an XFL team. She's a coordinator now at an NFL team, and I believe she's like 32. So, I mean, it's, you know, the world's at her fingertips. She's just going to grow into it, you know, and she's a very smart and incredible brain in, on her on her shoulders because I sit with her all the time and we talk personnel, her and I go back and forth on stuff. And, I mean, I'm telling you, she's she's as sharp as they come. And then, like, you know how much Grace has meant to me and my my industry. You know, she's a partner of Maverick Sports Consulting. She helps our media. She helps our social media. She's taught me a lot about, like, what she was saying, marketing, not just social media, but all of it. So she's really brought it. And then to have Jennifer Lee Chan on, I mean, a woman that's in the Bay Area, and she's one of these, you know, pillars of sports in the Bay Area. So she's just, you know, this woman who like you heard she was a pro wrestler she's doing you know, all sorts of fun stuff but her focus was building the relationships the inroads with the players the coaches in order to develop this career which she wanted which was to sit and talk sports and then out of her own mouth she's like you know women have to do it better do it harder work harder to get there because they're women and you have to prove to them that you know sports and stuff whereas guys like us we can go sit on a bar stool and people would believe we know sports they don't do the same thing with them and so to hear inclusion for her and her talk about you know just make sure like you know if the boys are going out to beers include the women if the boys are going out to dinner include the women if the boys are going to step in the office and have a private conversation include the women you know just don't do don't exclude them make sure we're including them in all the conversations and everything we're doing. So I really appreciate them. And again, obviously they're going to get some Mav care packages. Um, and I hope they all take me up on the invitation to come back on because that was, that was a real treat for me tonight to hear all their perspectives on this. Yeah, And I know David, you talked about, you know, just the, where they've been to where they've gotten and, and how, it's been difficult on the path. I'm curious, though, for your experience being a person that was in, you know, those locker rooms, in the, the front office positions, everything that you did over the years, seeing women, you know, surely but slowly starting to get more and more opportunities. What has it been like just from your perspective in the sports industry and being in the NFL and CFL that that specifically? What has it been like to see those opportunities become more and more prevalent and hopefully obviously keep continuing here you know when i was at the new york giants and i was it was my second year as an intern coughlin was the head coach we actually had a female intern at camp that year for scouting and she wanted to learn how to scout and since it was her first year there and my second year there you know gettleman had me show her around show her where to stand where not to stand and all that stuff and i got to be really good friends with her and it was really fun to see that Somebody who 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 I've grown up not having a strong interest in the sport, then to come across somebody like her, and she had such a passion for the game, and she loved watching the game and breaking film down and doing all the the BS work, you know, even timing kickers that I got frustrated on. She was like, "Oh, this is cool, we're timing kickers," and I'm like, "Oh, sucked, we're timing kickers." But you know, she was being passionate about it and everything, and 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 seeing women growing into new roles that they like you heard Catherine say they weren't traditionally opened up to them those paths weren't there they were only mainly on the business side they weren't allowed on the football side right that's not where they were allowed to see them open up now I think it's really cool and the, the women I do run into on the football side like Catherine 
and others are, they have a pa- passion for football, which again, you just don't find in just every human being because to do it, you're not going to get famous being a personnel person. I mean, unless you become the GM, nobody knows who you are. You know, you really are working behind the scenes and in the dark and you just do what you do. And it's a thankless job because you'll screw up a pick or you'll screw up a recommendation. And that's the one they'll want to talk about. They won't talk about the one that you hit, you know, or the four or five that you hit on. Right. So, you know, you have to have thick skin to do it and to see these women have the passion and drive and tenacity to want to do it. That's motivating to people like me that have been in it for 20 years or almost 20 years. It's like, wow, to see these next generation of scouts coming up and they're females and men and they're working together to climb the ladder. It's really a special time in sports for me um, looking through my 18 years. This is a special time in sports to see this all happening right now. Absolutely. And again, big thank yous to uh, Jennifer Lee Chan from the 49ers Insiders. Uh, Sports Bay area out there doing amazing things. Catherine Raich for the Philadelphia Eagles. Grace DeWitt from Douglas Digital. Works with David specifically as he's talked about a little bit. And Jill McBride Baxter. Incredible panel. We hope you all got a lot out of that. Before we move on to our next segment, we we want you all to know that we appreciate you for tuning in to Mav Sports Take tonight. Are you looking for a way to promote your company? If so, you, you would like to learn more about, you should if you would like to learn more about partnering with Mav Sports Take, contact us at mavsportsconsulting.com. We have opened up our partnerships for you to take advantage of. Mav Sports Take is reaching nearly 500 listeners each episode. Drop us an email at maverick.sportsconsulting.com and we will work to tailor a custom partnership package for you. Moving in to the NFL college football news and a little bit into some pickums for this week that we love to do. David, I think we have to start here with this week's news. Bill O'Brien, head coach, general manager for the Houston Texans. Um, not many people that can say that they are both as far as those job titles are concerned. Uh, decided to move on from Bill O'Brien, the Houston Texans did. After, I think, six seasons, seven seasons, either way, he was a pretty successful coach for the most part, honestly. He made playoffs five out of six years or six out of seven years. Uh, for what you know, for all the backlash he's had, all the stuff that's said about him, pretty successful win-loss record, making the playoffs. Now, when it comes to playoff wins and all that type of stuff, not much of a conversation. When it talks to the workings as a general manager, probably even less positivity to have in that conversation. But it seems like some strange timing here to me. Four games into the year, and now you decided to move on from Bill O'Brien. Obviously, a really terrible start for the Houston Texans. But what do you make of not only the decision to get rid of Bill O'Brien, but also the timing of everything only four games into the season? You know, we haven't seen a coach get let go this early since Joe Philbin uh, did from the Miami Dolphins. So it's been a while since a coach has gotten the quick hook like this on the first quarter of a season. Which leads me to believe that the organization was questioning if he should be gone, if not before the season. Because I don't think you just go week one, oh, we lost the game, and then go week two, well, we lost the game, should we fire the coach? Week three, we lost the game, should we fire the coach? It's kind of like something that's been brewing and when it happens this early on in the season. So when I when I heard the news, I was like, well, you know, he kind of made his bed with what he didn't do as a personnel director and the personnel GMs that he, he, you know, he kind of forced out of the building. Rick Smith was a beloved person in the organization. 
um, you know, a lot of the people in Houston love Rick. And then they bring in Brian Gain, another beloved person around the league, a very respected personnel guy. Um, and I can say he's a personal friend of mine. Brian is a top-notch evaluator, a top-notch culture person. He loves build, building the culture in the locker room for the coaches. So if you and again, if you can't get along with Brian Gain, it's not like trying to get along with me. I, I understand I got a rough side to me, but Brian's got no rough side. Like he's he's all about positive people interaction. I mean, that's really a term I think of when I think of Brian Gain is positive people interaction. So he really wants to inter- interact with everybody positively, leave the situations with everybody in a positive way. So, you know, I don't get that at all. Um, and again, I don't know, Bill, but to run into him a few times, so I can't tell you I, I'm intimately know the guy. Uh, I just hear other people that have worked there and the difficulties they had working with him. He was gruff. He was rough. And he was a guy that, you know, definitely just wanted things his way. And that's, that's all he was going to accept. And it's hard. I mean, seven seasons of having that around a building kind of can wear and tear on, on, um, on different, uh, organizations. And then they finally were just like, I'm done with it. Um, you know, I hope that, you know, I don't, I don't hope it will on anybody, but I think, you know, his attitude and his might be better suited for the college game. You know, he might, might be better suited to go run a program from, you know, head to toe at the college game and have somebody, you know, answer, you know, like kind of like a, a Saban does, you know? So, you know, he, he, everybody answers to him and you build a really big, good program and year in and year out, you're contenders for a national championship and pro sports. That's a, it's an attitude that doesn't really work. You have to collaborate. You can't work in a silo. You know, he, again, he took over play calling. Not only was he the head coach and the GM, now he's taking over play calling and he's negotiating a contract. I heard, I think it was Tom Palacero talking about it. He's negotiating a contract last week for a player instead of being in the coaches meetings with the coaches during the season when you're 0 and 3. So, you know, it's just a lot of, it's a lot to juggle and it takes a rare individual that can juggle it all and be successful at it all at the same time. So, you know, uh, again, I think if Bills takes to the rest of this year, sits back, takes a deep breath, does some introspective, you know, communication with himself and figures out a way to work with a GM and be able to do it, he could stay in the pros, but they might be better suited to go to a college program and he'll have plenty of suitors looking for him to, you know, come to their program. Absolutely. He did an incredible job at Penn state, you know, after everything that happened with Sandusky stuff and, you know, just every, all the, uh, all the, the, the negatives that they had to deal with, not only from, you know, just the perception of the program, but also, you know, the recruiting stuff that, you know, with less scholarship offers and all types of things. So he did a, Tremendous job in my estimation as a college head coach. I, I mean, I would be, and I, I don't know about your, your thoughts on this, David, but like if an NFL team was looking at him as an offensive coordinator, I don't know if that's something that he'd be open to after being a, a pretty successful head coach for so for such a long time. But I'd be willing to give Bill O'Brien play calling duties. I don't know. Even, I mean, maybe you could speak to this. You talked about, you know, kind of the, the personality he has and how it can wear down a program. Do you think that maybe as just an offensive coordinator who's not at the forefront of an organization, do you think that maybe he could last in that type of that type of space? Oh, I absolutely think he could uh, operate in that type of space. But I really believe he'll he'll be a head coach, and 
you know, he might not, again, it could be at a college level or it could be an NFL level. I mean, let's look, the Jets are going to come available eventually. Uh, so is Atlanta. I mean, they're going to come eventually, uh, available, you know, so there's different opportunities that are right around the corner for, for Bill O'Brien. And then, you know, in college ranks, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him to be able to come in and take over a program and, and run it the way he wants to run it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think, I don't think you can't look down at a college job anymore with all the, the salaries these guys are commanding. I mean, they, they make so much money as a college head coach and you get to recruit all the five star athletes you want. I mean, it's not like drafts where you in, you know, in the NFL, you can only pay so many and you can only draft so many blue chip players and keep them around for so long because heck, it's just hard to do when everybody's wanting to, you know, to get top dollar. So, you know, the money gets spread thin. But in college, Pete Carroll said it when he was at USC. Guys, I can I can have a blue chip player at every position. I just got to recruit him that way. You know, and that's what you look at Alabama. I mean, geez, they're they're getting nine guys off their team drafted every year. LSU's about averaging eight. I think uh, you know, f- many of these teams they can you know, Ohio State's another team that gets like eight draft picks every year, nine draft picks every year. So I mean, if you if you can go be that coach and live in a good college town and 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 have less, you know, have some more fun, I would definitely take a job like that because you're still earning comparable money. Um, and you know, Bill's not like a an old guy; he can go be a college head coach for you know the next five to ten years and. And then come back to the NFL if he wants to. I think he's only in his fifties, so you know. Again, it's to me, it's 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 a good it's a good thing to go be a, a college age coach. There's some great great gigs out there. Absolutely, and and kind of the last couple layers. I want to well, real quick, David. I'll say that the funniest thing I saw on Twitter after this happened was <clears throat> someone someone did a fake tweet from a uh, from an account that was um, it said went Houston. Expected to explore hiring head coach Adam Gase after he is let go, if he is let go by the New York Jets in the offseason. So wouldn't that be awesome? I, I, I And it got me for a second. I was like, is this real? And then I clicked on I'm like, no, but it's not real. No, there's no, no, no. Now that's what, no, no. I'm not even going to go there tonight. No, that's just a no. That's just a no. I love it, man. I love it. Last thing I want to ask about this situation, okay, is the Houston general manager position. Because, you know, head coaching candidates, who knows who's going to be available, all that type of stuff. Is that an attractive job with the lack of draft capital they have, this cap, the cap space, you know, confines? Like, is Houston Texans for you, is that is that going to be an attractive general manager destination with what, the lack of potential assets that they have? If you get full control over it, Yes, because Houston as a as a city, they really embrace their sports teams. They love their sports teams. So if you get full control where you can name your own head coach, you get control over the roster and you get to bring in your own people. And, you know, that's going to cost the ownership some money because you're going to have to lay some people off and do some moves. But if if you get control, Houston's a great job to get. It's a great city to live in. It's a great place to be. You can turn that around. Is it like instantaneous success no and you, you got any any candidate that go, you know I, I tweeted out a list of candidates today that they can go look at for general managers and for head coaches you know i put the names out into the twitterverse already today but um if they really truly want to turn it around they got to go get a guy like maybe 
I'll give you three names just off the top of my head. Guys like George Payton, Scott Fitterer, or Ed Dodds. You know, Dodds is from Kingsville, Texas, so being a Texan would be mean a lot to him. He's the assistant general manager at the Colts right now, and you see what a great team they have in, in line. He's won Super Bowls with the Seahawks. Um, you know, I worked with Dodds in Oakland. I saw him as a very young scout. He's so passionate about football and getting it right. His work ethic is second to none. And same with Fitterer. I've known Scott for a long time. George, I've known my whole career from Miami. And you would, there's these, they're really great young general manager candidates that if they wanted to, you know, push into that role, um, they, they really could and they could take it and run with it. But, it, you know, you, to me, you don't want to get an old head because an old head might not have the st- stamina because this isn't an overnight fix. This isn't I can come in and interject because you don't have the draft capital. Like you said, I can't come in and fix this in a year or two. This is going to be a, a two to five year fix here, depending on the cap casualties and stuff that come along the way and how draft picks pan out as well as injuries hit and all that stuff, you know, all those X factors you can't control. So, yeah, I like Houston as a job. Like, hell, if they rang my phone, I would pick up and I'd go in a minute. Like, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. Let's get this on. But I'm not on their radar. <laughs> and I, you know, and they have these great other men that are in the NFL that definitely are on their radar. I, I would hope they're on their radar and would make really good general managers for them. So, uh, as David said, attractive job potentially. I want to get into some NFL games for this week. We did a recap of last week a little bit. A couple games we wanted to talk about first. Actually, let's start college football, David. I'm, I'm reversing things a little bit. College football, let's start. Because college football comes first on the weekend. College football is better than pro football. Who said that? Miami Hurricanes. Are they back? I don't know. But they're taking on the Clemson Tigers a top five matchup. I th- believe Miami is in at number five, if I have that correct. Number four, something like that. Clemson, number one, of course. 14 point favorites going to Clemson here. Over, under set at 63 and a half. David, what are we thinking about this game? Because I have, I, I, I'm going to tell you that sometimes there's games where I'm just going back and forth and I kind of make a last minute decision on this one. When I saw this line, when I saw these teams, I had a quick, quick, quick opinion here. What do you think about this game? You know, my my first reaction when I saw it, I was just like, ooh, I got to watch this one. This one's going to be good because I think Miami's defense, you know, I like the way I like the way they, they did to Louisville up there in Louisville. And I know Clemson's a different beast, but Miami's defense is something that I think is really, really aggressive, athletic. They have some some guys that can really get after the quarterback, which, you know, pass rush is everything to me. Um, so. You know, when I like, I like Miami's defense a lot. I don't, the 14 points is that, that's a lot to me. You know, I think it's going to be a closer game. I really think it's going to be within, within a touchdown where this game's going to be decided. It's not going to be a blowout either way. And it's going to be a really fun, hard, hard fought game. And I don't know if it gets to 63. You know, I, I don't know if it gets there. I just, I, I see the, the defenses on both these teams being strong. And I don't know if we get to 63. I think we're going to be somewhere in the like 55 mark to at the end of the game. I'm definitely with you on the under there. And I'm definitely with you that Miami's defense, hey, Quincy Roche, a defensive end, Jalen Phillips, defensive end, safety Bubba Bolden, very talented football players. They got Al Blades Jr. at cornerback trying to make you feel a little old there, David, for a split yeah. second. 
I will tell you, though, I am on the opposite spectrum as far as the outcome of this game. Clemson rolls Miami by three touchdowns. Calling it right now. Right now, David. Wow. I'm saying like three 35, touchdowns. 35. Nope, not 35 because I don't think it's – well, no, no, yeah. 35-14. 35-14. You Clemson think that Tigers. Clemson's going to hold Miami to 14 points? That's what I said. That's what Ooh. I just said. It's on, it's, it's, on, it's on air here. I'm sure you're going to tweet out this video if I'm wrong, right? It's uh, on the podcast. We can't erase this. Joe DeLeon cannot erase this You can be like Lindsey Graham and – you know, say say hold my words against me, and then later change your change your tune. But I mean, I just don't see Miami getting rolled by twenty one. I know Clemson's good. Don't get me wrong. I get it. Vegas obviously thinks Clemson's better than Miami. That's why they're at fourteen, right? But I I think Miami's going to see that. They're going to be like, you know what? We're not getting the respect we deserve, and that defense is going to get amped up, baby. I hear you, man. I'm I'm going with Trevor Lawrence on this one. I'm not I, Miami. Looks better than I anticipated. I will fully, fully agree to that. I did not expect them to to have the output against all offensively against Louisville that they did. Turns out that Louisville's defense might just not be good. So I was wrong there. I will say I expected them to dismantle Florida State, but Florida State is, I mean, let's be honest here, is an awful football team. They are, they, I mean, they, they, they got taken to the wire last week against Jacksonville State. Like, they are bad. So bad right now. Yeah, they, I'm taking Clemson. It's not, it's not your, it's not your daddy's Seminoles there. It is not your Marvin Jones's Seminoles. No, to it say is the not. Least. <laughs> it is not. So I, I just, I Miami, I think are better than what I thought they would be. I think that they have not had a very strong schedule yet. I don't think they've seen a team yet, and I think that the reality of the situation is they're going to play Clemson here. And they're going to see athletes that they haven't seen yet. They're going to see big, strong players up, up front that they have not seen yet. Left tackle for Clemson, Jackson Carmen, all 6'5", 345 pounds of them. That defensive line has a couple of freshmen. Miles Murphy, who is 6'5", 275 pounds, playing defensive end right now. They have a, the number one overall recruit, Brian Brissy, who is balling at defensive tackle at 6'5", 300-plus pound freshman. They got dudes everywhere on defense, as per usual. They have Trevor Lawrence. They have some skill position players. Travis Etienne at running back. There is a lot to like about that Clemson. Oh, there Tigers is. Team, you know, I picked Etienne to be my Heisman guy. I like him. I did. That's my. I mean, I I understand, but Miami's defense to me is gonna it's gonna gonna shock you this week. Well, when Etienne runs for a buck fifty and three touchdowns against that Hurricane defense, leading them to the thirty-five to fourteen victory. Hey, I hope the gonna, U is tuned in. Back. I hope the U is tuned in and hearing this clown over here from Jersey not giving the U the respect they deserve. I hope so. You know what, David? My favorite podcast to ever go up to. I'll go on as a guest is Fours Up Podcast, which is actually a Miami Hurricanes podcast. They have me on every once in a while. I actually have a little bit of a Miami Hurricane fan following, which is a little weird, but nah, man, they're getting rolled this week, getting rolled. Let's talk about a game that might be a little more competitive. Georgia, Tennessee. Georgia favored by 12.5, 42.5 over under. I will say before the season, I did not anticipate this being much of a game. Tennessee is playing some pretty good football right now. They're playing, you know, Pretty well, above my expectations for sure. Georgia, I thought that they would have a much closer game. I did think they were going to beat Auburn, but I thought it was going to be very close. Their offense looked a lot better 
after a you know very lackadaisical opening game. And that defense we talked about a little in the opening is very good. Very, very good defense. A lot of future NFLers on that team. I'm, I'm, it's tough for me right now, David, to get a pulse on this game because I don't know how good Tennessee is for real. I'm trying to figure it out right now, man. I, I'm looking at this 12 and a half. That seems high to me. I don't know why. Am I am I crazy? I feel like I asked you that once a, a podcast, though. What what are you thinking about this game overall? You know, I don't think it's crazy. Georgia, what they showed last week, I mean, what they did to Auburn, I mean, that was impressive. Again, holding Auburn to six points. That, that's And, you know, Nix is a pretty good quarterback, but he could not get his feet underneath him, and he could not recover. Once he was headed down that rabbit hole, it was a full sled down. I mean, he couldn't. He could not come out of the hole and Georgia kept their, you know, kept their foot on the neck and they, they squeezed. They didn't let up. They, they kept after him. So I, I think Munchamp's got him going. And I think, you know, I mean, what I saw last week, as much as I saw some good stuff out of Tennessee, I saw better stuff out of Georgia. And I think Georgia's going to be the team that they're, like you said earlier, when we were reviewing the, the games from last week, Georgia's going to be a team that's going to start pushing to contend with Alabama from what I saw last week the first game they did not look that good but obviously Will went in there got him cooked up got him ready to go made some changes last week they looked every bit as good as as I've seen a football team look this year so and in Tennessee don't get me wrong it's not sliding Tennessee at all because I think Tennessee like you said has surprised me this year I think they're a good football team but I do believe Georgia wins this one by at least 13 14 points yeah, if if I had to put money on this game, I feel like I would definitely take Georgia here with that 12.5-point line. I think that Georgia is still pretty significantly better than Tennessee. I think I might take the under, though, on this one. I don't know why that's just sticking in my mind. I, I'm not trusting how consistent Georgia's offense is going to be. I think it's solid. I think it's good, maybe. But I don't know if I think that it is 30 points a game type of good. So I think I might be taking Georgia, but taking the under in this game man, just general thoughts there. We talked a little bit about the SEC teams. Maybe Georgia could be a threat to Alabama. I know you're a big Florida fan, David, so putting you on the spot here. Florida Gators or Georgia Bulldogs? Which which year is this? Wow. Well, I'll say this. It's got to be the Gators because they've done it two weeks in a row. They've done it two weeks in a row. And you know what? They they beat Ole Miss, who last week won. You know, I think it was overtime, but they, they won last week. And then um, the uh, who they play last uh, this this South past, Carolina yeah South Carolina who you said these corners were going to match up against them and my boy Trask has said yeah right and you know they still schooled them up and down the field and my boy Tony got off again they so, covered that's all I care about they covered I'm just saying I'm just saying you wanted to talk smack and I, they put the smack it down on you so I'm just saying I think. Florida right now, from seeing the first couple weeks of them playing football and their defense is playing really strong, really good, I'm going to say Florida at this point in the season is better than Georgia. We all of a sudden have a lot of questions in the mailbag, so we're going to got to get through these NFL questions as quick as we can. Uh, we got Tampa Bay, four-and-a-half-point favorites over the, the posers of the NFL, the Chicago Bears, who fell last week after starting 3-0. I knew they weren't real. I knew they weren't real. Nick Foles isn't real. Four-and-a-half-point favorites for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over under 44-and-a-half. 
Um, I'll start this one since I keep putting you on the spot. Well, no, you with. started because you were talking all yeah. about Philly Foles and all this stuff last week. Yeah, and I remember oh, it was a I remember you talking about Philly Foles and all this. And who was saying I'm not a Foles fan? Who was saying I'm not a Foles fan? And then you, you, you don't like Philly Foles? What's wrong with you? Nothing, obviously. It was just a player comparison, David. I wasn't going to bat for Nick Foles being real, okay? He couldn't beat Mitch, beat out Mitch Trubisky for, before the season. That tells you all you need to know about it. I will say, for this game, taking Tampa Bay, Tom Brady looked phenomenal in the second half last week. Absolutely incredible. He was like 15 of 17 for like 250, three touchdowns. Like, looked so good. I think they're going to keep it rolling against Chicago that, again, I think is a little bit of a poser. I would take the over in this game, too, because I think Tampa Bay is going to score a good amount, and then Chicago's going to get into catch-up mode. I don't think they're ever going to keep it close, but they're going to start to you know pile up those passing yardage stats because they're down by two touchdowns, and they have to, that type of thing. So give me the over. Give me Tampa Bay with the four and a half. Yeah, I like Tampa, too, on this one. I think Chicago's defense is going to get some pressure on Tom, though. Um, the one thing about the Tampa Bay offensive line is that's their weak area to me. They're not, Tom's still having to move around too much in the pocket for his liking. So he did throw five touchdowns to five different receivers last week, which was impressive, obviously. And I think on the, on his career now, he's like 90 different players he's thrown a touchdown to. So it's just amazing how he spreads the ball around and how he reads defenses so quickly and so, so efficiently to just, you know, obviously get the ball in the right hands when they um, when the openings open up. So for me, I take Tampa too. I think they're going to beat them. I, I think they'll beat them by 10 points, if not more. Um, and I think it will be over the over on this one. I, this game feels to me like a 28-21 or 31-23 final with a last-minute touchdown by Chicago that makes it look like it's a lot closer than it actually was. That's kind of the the that's that's what's coming in my mind a little bit on that one. Hey, this you got the crystal ball. I'm gonna get you the wizard hat. I'm gonna have you wear a wizard hat on these things now. This is what's coming. Like what's coming to me? Rub the rub, rub the ball. Rub the ball. I, I'm I'm like Lee Corso. I just need my headdress and then you I'm good do. to go here, man. You do. You. Buffalo Bills, who seem very legit, four and zero now, right? Buffalo Bills after their decisive victory this past weekend. Uh, the game was never as close as the final score indicated for the Buffalo Bills against the Las Vegas Raiders, almost at Oakland Raiders. Tennessee, they're facing off against the Tennessee Titans, who have some COVID concerns, to say the least, right now. I could not find a line on this game. I could not find an over-under. So I feel like everyone doesn't know what's happening with this game. They're not really sure what the sideline of Tennessee might be. That's kind of my inkling to this. Is this game even going to happen? I don't know. Those are just some things that popped into my head. Um, so if this is a pick if this ends up being a pick I'm taking the Buffalo Bills, who are rolling right here, and the Tennessee Titans, who might might be short for some players with all the COVID talk that's happening right now. Yeah, I picked this game for us to talk about because of the COVID situation there. I mean, they weren't able to get in their facility last week. They're talking about maybe opening up the facility tomorrow if all the tests today came back negative. Um, and then who they let in and what's going on there, the protos- protocols and procedures are going to be switched up. So we don't know what's going to happen in Tennessee. And again, this is what the NFL feared when they, when they got into this is that a team is going to get hit with COVID to the point where they're going to miss a game, two games. They can't reschedule it and they're either going to have to forfeit it or 
they're not. And again, by the, the, the players association to me did a very poor job negotiating this because the owners were able to negotiate the league and the owners were able to negotiate. If a game is not played, then the players in that game do not get paid. And I'm sorry, but if this is a game that they can't play and I'm a Buffalo Bill and I'm not going to get a paycheck and I did nothing wrong but win, be like 4-0 and do everything I'm supposed to do and make sure I'm staying home and I can't play because my opponent can't play and therefore I don't get paid, like that's that's a hard nut to swallow. And I think the NFLPA, uh, you know, we talk the business of football here a lot. They did a very bad job giving in on that that portion of the the agreement because that you know again you have one team that might not be doing what they're supposed to the other team that did that is like last week the Pittsburgh Steelers did everything they're supposed to do they couldn't show up and play Tennessee so now they have to forfeit a bye week they were working during the week so the players really didn't get any about a true bye week off you know so here we go to competitive advantages all over the place. And we're only at week four in the NFL season. We're going on to week five. So for me, if I'm picking the game, obviously I'm picking Buffalo because they've been able to stay undistracted up to this point, And we really like what they got going there. That being said, if they don't get to play this game and the Buffalo Bills players don't get paid, it's going to be a very hard nut to swallow because that's, that's a difficult situation when they have done nothing but go perfect on the season and now they're going to forfeit a paycheck. It's a, it's definitely a tough situation. There's a lot of layers. I feel like we could spend a whole podcast on that because like my mind was going, what if the Titans get into a situation where they have to forfeit another game like or postpone another game? Like, How is this going to work with the ability to make anything up, the playoff implications? We talked about this with Tom Pelosero a little bit, but like we talked mostly like, if a team is short a game when they're talking about their final standings, like what if the Buffalo, what if the Tennessee Titans get on a little uh, unfortunate, you know, tailspin here where like they just can't play for a couple weeks? What happens in those types of situations? I feel like there's so many layers to it, and I mean, I don't know the, I don't know the answers. You know, there's so many layers that I don't know any of these answers, and I think that's what's making the time right now just so unsettling. Is that there's just we talk about the time of uncertainty a lot, but like you have no control over your reality right now for some of these players and some of these teams and some of these coaches in front office. It's it's very tough to handle to try to figure out what is the best step and what is the precautionary tale. Like there's just so many things that I find it tough to even wrap my mind around right now. Well, you heard Catherine talk about earlier the Eagles have been tested every day since you know July. And, you know, the NFL is doing their best to keep COVID out of the equation here. But, you know, it's such a contagious disease. It's worked its well its way into this. Now we got to see how it unfolds. And I just think, you know, again, as a negotiator, and you heard Jill talk about how most of the contracts she negotiates has, you know, the the team or the university in, you know, protected all the way. And it's very little to do for the employee. And right here we see that being the case the employees being the players obviously are getting we're given uh the ultimatum like don't don't if we have to cancel a game you're not going to get paid and they accepted that term now i don't know what they got for it in negotiations but if you're looking down the path of how contagious this is and you can't foresee one game getting 
canceled or two games getting canceled. Um, and you're, you know, those players on those teams not going without pays. I mean, you're the union. You're supposed to be guarding against stuff like that. You're not supposed to be allowing that to be worked into a contract. You know, that's just not something a union should do. You know, a union shop shouldn't be doing that, but the, the union does a lot of stuff I don't think they should do, but that's a longer story for a different, different podcast. And it's coming to our favorite time of the podcast, David's favorite, some mail, the mailbag segment for tonight. Before we do a word, a quick word from our sponsors. When was the last time you had a social media audit? Never. Are you sure that what you're putting out on social media is what you want future employers to see? By now, we all know that that first thing employers do after they receive your resume is go check out your social media to learn more about you. If you want to make sure that what you're putting out there is on target for your personal brand, sign up for our social media audit at mavericksportsconsulting.com. We'll make sure you're making the right choices on social media. Mailbag portion for tonight. want to thank everyone for putting in last-minute posts this week, last-minute tweet, and I got a big response. I guess I need to start posting it like right before we go on. Um, lots to get through here, David. Uh, let us start. There's a mix of 2021 NFL draft questions. There's a mix of just general you know, front office things. There's a lot of stuff. Let's start with with um, Adam Gase here. There's a question about when Adam Gase is sacked. Shout out to Mons Moy, hashtag White Farmers Lives. That is his that is his Twitter handle. When Gase is sacked and Jets tank for Trevor Lawrence, what will the be Darnold Sam Darnold's value, and who will be uh, be keen on him? Steelers for 2021 first, 2022 second, perhaps. So he's asking about, so Sam Darnold has had an up-and-down career to begin, right? Um, Former third overall pick. Now they're asking if it comes to the point where they're so bad, they decide to take Trevor Lawrence, what is going to be the asking price potentially of someone like Sam Darnold if they decide to part ways? Well, here's the thing. I'm not on the Sam Darnold, you know, give them away freeway here and the jets don't have to try to tank they they, you know it's just they're just gonna tank because that's just who the jets are um and it's sad because you know they're a major market and they haven't been good since rex ryan was there and they had sanchez and stuff you know you would think that they they would want to be better than what they are but here's the thing if you are going to, if Joe and those guys stay and, you know, they get to name the next head coach, they really have to evaluate if Donald can get better under somebody else's seat, you know, somebody else's system. Like we talked about on Friday night scout school, quarterbacks fit systems and coming up tomorrow or Friday night here at Friday night scout school. When we go into it, we're breaking down quarterbacks and we'll be talking a lot about how Mahomes fits the system in Kansas City so well, how Murray fits the system in Arizona so well. You know, and, and so on and so forth. How Burrow fits the system in Cleveland, or I'm sorry, Cincinnati so well. But I think whoever you bring in as a coach, you have to see if they want to work with Sam Donald before you go trying to trade Sam Donald. Cause if you got a coach that comes in and did all the pre draft work and liked Sam, interviewed him, thought you really have something there, you might not want to get rid of him. And then you can bolster your offensive line, which is a just an atrocious there. You can bolster your pass rush. You can do something else with that high value pick instead of use it on a quarterback. 
and again, there's not many quarterbacks that are high value this this year. So say you do get the number one pick, you might be able to trade back, and that pick might be more valuable than Sam Donald. And like you saw when Herschel Walker got traded for six draft picks, now Herschel, one guy got let go, and the Dallas Cowboys got five five perennial all-stars and I think three Hall of Famers in there. So, you know, when you do that, you have to – the value chart – is not just on the player, it's also on the pick. Which one has more value? What can you get more for? And then what could you do with it? That that becomes the conversation in the room is, okay, if we trade Sam, what's the scenario? Okay, if we trade the pick, what's the scenario? Which one has better value to this organization? So therefore, let's go with that one versus the other. So the only thing I thought about... Because Ryan like Tannehill's Donald, doing pretty damn good up in uh, in Tennessee, and you know yes. he he was under Gase, so just saying. No, no, and, and that's that's been my stance this whole season because I am I'm a Sam Darnold fan. I liked him at USC. I still like him. He flashes every week where you see those those instances of that talent really coming out. You know, talking about that long touchdown run he had this past week, that incredible uh, throw outside of the pocket the week before, rolling to his left, throwing an absolute dart like. The tools are obviously there. He's still only 23 years old. And my thought process is if I'm trying to value what he's going to be worth on the market if he eventually does get to that scenario, Josh Rosen just got traded for a second-round pick by the Miami Dolphins this past offseason during the draft. I would much rather have Sam Darnold. He has proven a lot more than a guy like Josh Rosen. So I have to think, I mean, David, I think this is going to be you know very specific to what team is in the conversation, but like, First round pick, right? Like, well, who, I mean, who's a team that has a lot of draft capital right now? There's, there's a couple. I mean, who, are, who do you have somebody in mind specifically? Jacksonville Miami ja- Dolphins, Jacksonville who? Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm about to say what Miami's going to pair him with Tua. Like, no, what are you talking about? Jacksonville no. Jaguars. Yeah, the Jaguars yeah, got a lot that. of draft capital. So I mean, and they're they're you know I'm not a fan of the mustache. Other people are. So you know, but again, I'm they, not. They they can they can you know make the trade up and and get them bring them down you know to Jacksonville and that'd be a good fit for him you know with whoever their new head coach is because Doug's not gonna be there um so yeah as I'm saying like there's gonna be some movement in the NFL this year coming up really quick so you know it's gonna be which coach gets what job who wants that Sam Donald if he's available you know all that stuff come into play and. And it's a long drawn out process. I don't, I would say a first round pick isn't out of the, or isn't out of the realm here because again, this draft class coming up doesn't have a lot of quarterbacks coming out that you're like excited for. We always talk about Trevor Lawrence. Oh, and the other guys. So, you know, there's a few guys that you like, but I think Sam Donald coming out of SC graded higher than probably everybody in this draft class besides Lawrence. So. How dare you insult North Dakota State great Trey Lance like that? Because he only throws 12 passes a game and he runs the rest of the time. He's so talented. Dave. We'll have to talk about that another time, though. Uh, another question from the same uh, person here, Mons Moy. Obviously, some are more able than others, but how much consideration is put into drafting an offensive tackle with college football experience on the side they are playing, uh, side they are being drafted for? For example, drafting right tackle uh, Jalen Mayfield for right tackle rather than left tackle Dylan Radins and switching him to left. So I'm switching him to right. So, David, I guess the question is, I'm going to give you a scenario. 
let's say you have two offensive tackles on the board you really like. Maybe you like the left tackle a little bit more than you like the right tackle, but there's a right tackle hole that one of them is going to fill almost immediately after he's drafted. What is your thought process in determining which guy you would rather have in that situation? You always take the left tackle. Always. No, no, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Left tackles are so hard to come by. I remember a mistake we made at the Giants. Um, Dave and Kenny went to a preseason game and saw Jason Peters play at the Buffalo Bills. And it was it was a game that was like preseason, wasn't on TV, and it was a scrimmage. It wasn't even a game. It was a scrimmage. And Kenny was free, so he went and saw the game. And he saw Jason play left tackle, but then they hit him the rest of the time. They didn't. They didn't let Jason play the rest of the preseason at left tackle. So it was the only time. If, if you didn't have a ticket, it didn't get televised, it didn't get taped, you had to go to this thing. And, and we had him in the building because Buffalo cut him, and we're going to put him on the practice squad. We found out. We brought him in, and we were going to sign him, and the head coach at the time did not want him because he didn't have – he didn't feel the, the chops to do it. And therefore, we let him go and – He's still playing today. And, you know, again, it's a situation where when you find a left tackle or anybody with left tackle ability, you have to take the left tackle. Even if you slide them into guard or you flip them over to right, you know, you can do that once you have them in the building. But it's harder to bring a right tackle to play left. It's easier to play have a left tackle play right. Yep. So we're always going the left tackle there. That was my thought process too. Just I feel like that would be more valuable, right? Like the traits that he has, ability to play multiple spots potentially. Um, good insight there. Moving through this list, there's a couple that are a little more specific towards 2021 prospects. So I think I'll handle those ones. Raiders under Raider underscore T asked about comparisons. I love comparisons, by the way. For Kadarius Tony, the, the wide receiver for the Florida Gators. Tutu Atwell, who's a wide receiver from Louisville, and Reed Blankenship, who is a safety from Middle Tennessee State, who is actually, he's a pleasure to watch, by the way. Um, David, I would definitely recommend him. He's a guy that not many people are talking about that's a pretty darn good football player. I think I compared to Kadarius Tony a little bit to Percy Harvin. Yeah, uh, you did that last week. That was a good comparison. That was a really good comparison because, you know, the way he 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 runs strong and so did Percy, you know, and he he is elusive, but he's he's – you know, he's got that bull mentality like Percy had too. So I thought that was a great comparison you made last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of the, the the usage, right? Like as a gadget player, ability to do multiple things on the field, movement piece. I think there's a lot of lot of parallels there. Tutu Atwell is a really small wide receiver. He's let's say like 6'9", 265 pounds. Uh, 6'9", 5'9", 265 pounds. Um he kind of compares me to the kid that came out of Penn State this year that went to um, the Raiders, Denver Broncos. Oh, KJ Broncos, Hamler. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, K.J. Hamler, who's a really small guy, but super fast, super quick and elusive, has a lot of traits as, as that space player, again, to make people miss one-on-one type of situation. Reed Blankenship, I want to compare him a little bit to Jesse Bates stylistically that plays with the Cincinnati Bengals, who's a little bit more of a – Lighter built safety, but does incredible stuff in, in in deep zone. There is a part of me though where I think some scouts are going to value him as a corner potentially with the length and and flexibility that he has. But a really nice football player, I would definitely recommend if anybody 
hasn't taken a look at him. Uh, moving over to Jake's question here about Kyle Trask, David. I know obviously you haven't you know put in the put on put in the film room as far as the Kyle Trask show, but you've seen it on TV a little bit. How much has he impressed you the first couple weeks, and what has he been able to show you in the in the short time so far during the season? I really like Kyle Trask so far. Like what I saw, how he works the pocket is very interesting. Because he's 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 got great lateral steps and 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 then reset, and he his the way and when you reset on a lateral motion, sometimes your hips rise up and therefore the balls will float on you. When he's stepping, he's keeping his hips down. He's keeping it a nice tight core so he can whip it and get it out, and it's very efficient. And his ball placement is very good. Also, what I like about it is when he does take his drop or he gets the the shotgun snap and pressure's coming upfield, he hitches up and he climbs in the pocket, reducing down the throw by a couple yards by him doing that. And therefore, working forward helps his edge protection work those guys around the corner without him, you know, like we saw last night with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers got in trouble one time. He tried to roll out of it instead of hitch up in the pocket, and he rolled right into a defender because the offensive linemen are trying to, you know, work that pocket in a, in a oval shape and keep them clean. And he rolled right into the pressure versus staying clean by hitching up and climbing forward in the pocket. So as a young guy, he's making really good pocket decisions. And he's, as a young guy, he's making a really good decisions in ball placement and his arm strength seems to be better than I thought. Not, it's not excellent. I wouldn't even call it very good. I call it good. But I, there's a lot of West Coast systems um, that would fit this guy in the NFL. And, David, I think you had a question that maybe went through your Twitter. No, you got uh, it. So just, you got it. Oh, I got it already. Okay, perfect. So um, going to On Deck IC, who is a good friend of the show. Shout out to Kate over there in On Deck IC. GS, are the Falcons ever going to win? Er, sounds like she might be a Falcons fan. David, maybe we'll take this to a different perspective. How? What do you think that the final outcome of this season might be for the Atlanta Falcons? Can you give me a win-loss prediction potentially? Um, without looking at a schedule, I'm really putting you on the spot here, but I'm just, I'm just. Like, uh, they when, have a really strong chance to go over, and you know it's hard to say that, but I mean they just find ways to lose every week, and then the game last night. I mean they got the quarterback slamming his helmet on the bench. You got the uh, defense that, you know, they played their butts off, but the offense just wasn't clicking at all. And that's their strongest, their strongest, you know, part to that team. And then, you know, you keep looking at it and the defense is beat up. Their whole secondary is on IR now. They lost two more DBs last night. So, I mean, this is a team that has talent, but they're not doing much with it. And once they let, you know, Dan Quinn go, you know, who's on the team to coach the rest of the way. So, you know, for me, I see the, you know, I see them getting to 0 and 7 and Dan Quinn getting let go. And then after that, I just don't know. They might, they could squeeze out a couple, but Carolina, they're starting to come on. They're starting to gel. The Saints are still the Saints. They're going to get their players back and healthy. And you got T, you know, you got TB down there running, the, running the game in, uh, in, uh, in Tampa Bay. So, you know, it's kind of hard to say this team's going to even win four games. I, I would say the over-under for me is set at four or under. Well, I would, I would definitely say that I hope for our, for my 
fantasy team's perspective. I hope you're right. Michael Thomas gets back healthy very soon for the New Orleans Saints because it's killing me right now. Still 3-1 and one going into week five, but, man, it's been a struggle without Mikey Thomas there for, for sure. 0-16, though, that's how – I mean, a winless season has happened, what, twice in the history of the NFL, talking about the Lions a few years ago and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in the day. Like, that is – a big comment, obviously. I will say I don't think they're going to be good. I, I would say three to four wins is probably, in my mind, what the the cap, most re- realistic outcome for them is. So I'm on board with the fact that the Atlanta Falcons are a bad football team. They have a lot of injuries. They're a bad football team. So they're not going to be good. I'm sorry, Kate. Sorry. <laughs> Let's move on. We have a couple more questions. A little more specific again, 2021 NFL Draft. So I'll rattle through these couple really quick here. I would love to hear your thoughts. This is Hollywood Titan on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Henry Toto Toa. Is I guess is how I'm going to pronounce that name. That is a heck of a name, to say at least, for the Tennessee Volunteers. I haven't seen enough of him, Hollywood. Sorry. Um, I think he's only a sophomore, too. So I definitely have not dove into his film in any way. I know he's flashed a little bit when I've seen Tennessee football. I've heard he's looked really good, but I don't have a, a real take for you on that one. Alec Palladino asked, how large is the gap between Justin Fields and Trey Lance? Depends who you ask. For me, I actually value Trey Lance a little higher than Justin Fields. It's just me, though, from a talent perspective. I think that in the right situation, Trey Lance is a better football player than Justin Fields is. Best landing spot for each top wide receiver. Oh man, this that's too much. That's too broad of a question. I'll give you a couple, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Jamar Chase, anything you can put him in any system you want, vertical where you're keeping him on a vertical plane, and he can uh, he can create a lot of matchup nightmares for as an X Y receiver in the boundary. I think that he can do so many awesome things. Um, Jalen Waddle, I mean, I don't know. New England Patriots popped in my head a little bit there for the uh, Atlanta. Uh, I don't know why I said Atlanta. Uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, really explosive slot player. Oh, Waddle's, have- Waddle's stop and start. His change of direction is ridiculous. I, I've watched him enough to know that that kid is going to be a playmaker at the next level, whoever like you, whoever gets him. I mean, it's it, it's he's going to be a very – I think he's going to be a high priority for teams. Oh, absolutely. New England Patriots popped in my head. I will say a team sneaky in like the top half of the first round. Miami Dolphins reuniting him with Tua at, at, as his slot receiver with those two tall wide receivers they have. I think that would be a really fun outcome. Rondell Moore is the last guy I'll mention. He's a really physical, sturdy slot receiver. Um, I used to think like the New York Giants would be a good fit just because they have Sterling Shepard right now in the slot who just cannot stay healthy. I feel like he would be a really nice player in their system giving Daniel Jones hopefully a little more of a safety blanket because right now they cannot block anything. So, hey, any guy that can create instant separation early on in a rep is a plus for a guy like that. That is the mailbag section for this week. want to thank you all, as always, for bearing with us and listening and um, putting questions into the mailbag for us. Uh, as always, there's a lot of, a lot of you know, um, there's a lot of takes that I have from the show, a lot of things that I'm thinking about, just thinking back to the panel and, the, and some of the questions that we went through. Uh, David, going to kick it over to you, though, to start here. Just a final thought, um, something for the listeners to think about. What's just kind of on your mind? And the theme of tonight, I'll say this. Look at ways for us to include everybody. Inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. 
our country is divided in so many ways politically and in so on so many different lines right now. It doesn't feel like America. You know, America to me was after 9-11, we bound together and we were determined to be together as people. And we were doing everything for the safety of each other at that point in time, making sure everybody was safe. Everybody was together. We were Americans. It didn't matter if you were in San Francisco, New York, Omaha, Nebraska, Boise, Idaho. You were an American. And that's what came first. And tonight's panel was also about inclusion. Don't exclude somebody based on race, gender, or any other discriminatory way. It's about inclusion. The more we include people, the more we include other cultures, other um, races, like you heard Catherine say tonight, the stronger the team becomes. And one thing that I'm a big believer in is building teams. And you get more work done with the stronger your team is, you get more work done. You get better results with stronger teams. And that comes through inclusion, communication, and ability to work together. So for me tonight, hearing the ladies talk about inclusion and, and all that, it really brought that home to me where as Americans, we need to in- incorporate that into our everyday lifestyle is inclusion more than exclusion. That's really well said. I, I think it's just the ch- continued changing I- ideologies there with that panel, right? We talked about how they've gotten there. It should not have been as difficult as it was for them to get to where they are. But unfortunately for us, we had a panel of very strong women who were able to beat the odds and beat the, you know, just the the stereotypes that some people associate with women in sports. So uh, really thankful for hearing all their stories and just their perspectives on how they've gotten there and what needs to keep moving forward to make this a better place for everyone, men, women, everybody in sports and everybody just in general as a society. So I want to thank everyone again for taking a listen to us this week. Map Sports Take Episode 9. I want to thank everybody again for the questions they threw into the chat. We'll be back again next week to continue conversations about everything and anything you need to know in the sports world, business world. We're trying to cover everything, this unmuzzled talk every single week. Make sure you like, share, and follow on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. I am at Rise and Draft, and David is at Mav underscore sports. Make sure to also check out Friday Night Scout School. This week, we're diving into quarterbacks 9 o'clock Eastern time every Friday. Come be a better scout. Come improve your eye. Make sure that you're taking the necessary steps to improve yourselves as an evaluator. We want to thank you all and wish you everyone a very good night. Thank you all again for listening tonight. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick.sportsconsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.